I was talking to a woman recently. She's somebody I think is wise. She was on a business trip and she got a text from her husband and it said, miss you. And she told me, she responded, you're always with me. This is Eric Thompson. Welcome to To Honor and Cherish. Today, let's talk about connection. Connection and distance. Emotional connection and emotional distance. Sometimes people worry in their marriage when they start to feel that the connection has slipped away. I like to celebrate in this space the blessings of marriage. Let's talk about the blessings of connection first. Think about somebody who you feel gets you, who you feel like you can pretty much tell them what you really think. In fact, you might even really enjoy the fact that I couldn't say this to a lot of people, but to you, I can say what I really think. Murray Bowen defined, somebody asked him, what's a great mother? And he said, she knows the thoughts of her children. I've always thought that had like a transcendental ring to it. <laughs> she knows the thoughts of her children. Where I've taken that is she's behaved in such a way that her children pretty much tell her what's on their mind. It sounds so simple, but it's not really. It's kind of magical. So that person who you might have thought of who, if you're taking a walk from them, you, you feel at the end, wow, I really, I was able to say what I really think. What do they do to cause that to come about? How do they act? What is it? What sets up that condition for connection? I was thinking one of the things is that they're really interested. Just really interested, like not faking it. They want to know what you really think. How do we get in the way of people telling us what they really think. Probably one of the biggest ways is they're just not that interested. <laughs> I don't know if you can fake this stuff, but maybe you could think about it. Many times I've had the experience, and I'll bet you have too, where you start to tell somebody something that's kind of important to you and you you find a way to put it put it into words. And they immediately change the subject. Maybe they change the subject to, oh, I did something like that. And then they start to tell you a long story. Or they immediately change the subject to what they think about it. 
and you have that experience, oh, I don't think they're that interested. Whereas other people, you're just moving a little bit slower. They're a little bit less excited to tell you all about them and what they think. Maybe they're less anxious. Maybe they have less of a need to hear themselves talk. And so in that same moment, they could just be more curious. And then I was also thinking, um, if you're really attached, let's say, to how your wife thinks, like you're, you really want her to think a certain way. You for perhaps you want her to agree with you. Like that's very important. I need her to validate that my views are the are the right ones, or my interests are the right ones, or I just need a lot of validation from her. It's going to be hard to be masterfully interested in what she thinks, what she's envisioning for herself or how she's growing. So maybe these are some of the fine points of being curious in a marriage. I think it's such a blessing when people are really curious about each other, even though they've been married for a while. A lot of times, I think in the courting phase, somebody who you're you're starting to really want to date, you know, usually you're pretty curious about them. You find them pretty interesting. Maybe even find them inspiring. I just heard a, a wise person say, they were asked, you know, how do you set up the conditions to develop your full potential? And they listed as one of the points that you surround yourself with people you find inspiring, which I thought was lovely guidance. So in the courting phase, I think it's, you know, many of us find this quite easy to, to be very interested. What a wonderful thing when that just is sustained for many, many years, even decades. That level of fascination with the other person. Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke, the great German poet, said something interesting about this. Rilke wrote in a letter, once the realization is accepted, that even between the closest human beings, infinite distances continue to exist. Then a wonderful living side by side can grow up. If they succeed in loving the distance between them, 
which makes it possible for each to see the other whole against the sky. Seeing the other whole against the sky seems to me a very beautiful detail of the art of honoring and cherishing. Whole against the sky. And maybe that speaks to our relationship with the sky. If we have a relationship with something really big, something really expanded, something deep and blue that's way beyond us, maybe we're more capable of seeing the other as whole and seeing the other for what they are rather than what we want them to be. That might be a deep religious feeling. It might be a wide philosophical outlook. It might be just that simple ability to see your whole neighborhood, like you're a shepherd of your neighborhood. Things like that, I think, may be what Rilke was pointing at when he talked about seeing the other one whole against the sky. And how amazing that he, uh, he connected it to this infinite distances that exist between us and our spouses. I like this infinite distances because it it points towards the unbounded potential to be fascinated with the other one. I'm not talking about being fascinated every single moment or with everything they do, you know, but more a healthy sense of interest that is sustained if they succeed in loving the distance between them. I was talking earlier about uh, how much you need the other person to validate what you think or who you are. Tell me I'm good again today. Okay, we all want that. We all need some of that. But how much do we need? Is it like a kind of a white knuckled preoccupation that you've got to have some every single day or when you get into a certain mood, it's an absolute requirement. And if you don't get it, you're going to be upset. If you don't get it, you're going to be angry. Or maybe if you don't get it, you're going to be distant. You're going to go cold. That would be the more intense need for the other person to validate me. And that would, I think, work against the ability to do what Rilke said, loving the distance between them. Loving the distance between them. I guess you have to be kind of free and sort of okay with yourself in order to love the distance between you and somebody else, you and your spouse. 
loving the things that are different about them instead of wishing they were more like you were. I have my friend Suzanne Brew on here with me. <laughs> what do you think about, uh, what are you thinking about, Suzanne? Well, I, I, I'm thinking about a lot of things, Eric. You know, um, one of the things that I'm thinking about is how, you know, in the beginning you were mentioning how people will, they'll talk about themselves or experience or what they're, and somebody else will immediately take it into a different direction. Yeah. And um, I was thinking, I've heard an expression recently that you, you hear with your brain, you know, and I just was thinking a lot about like, about that, like, you know, how, how people hear these different conversations um, and the anxiety that often people have that they can't be with another person's thoughts. They, they can't be with another person's emotions. And so they'll immediately pull it into an area mm. that they're comfortable with. You know, they'll pull it out of yeah. the other person's concern and into an area they're, they're more comfortable with. Yeah, so, they're having a hard time loving the distance between them. Yeah, yeah. Instead, they're, uh, it could be lots of things, but one of them could be that. Yeah. I mean, people get really anxious when they don't know what to say, you know? Um, but that was one thing, and you know, that I was thinking, um, you know, I've been married for a long time, like mm -hmm. 51 years next week. Mm -hmm. And um, just my husband and I are really different from each other very different from each other i'm and, chuckling because it's been said that you know the the uh the courting couple says oh we have so much in common yeah yeah and then after 15 years wow we i couldn't believe how different we are yeah yeah <laughs> so, and then i think well would you want to be married to somebody like you i say no i think one's enough you know um yeah, actually it's it's often for some people, they they kind of panic a little when they start to discover how different they are. Yeah, and I think wise shepherds of marriages will will it be able to say, "Take it easy." Those differences were there the whole time. They were Everyone there the else whole time. Could see them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always knew Nord and I were very different. I mean, I never occurred to me that they weren't that we weren't. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's comfortable. I mean, I would say mostly it's comfortable. Sometimes it's a bit of a bridge, a little too far. But you know, so what? It does, we don't have to connect on everything, and um, that's fine. You know, I guess maybe that's you know part of what you're saying yeah. that that you know. Uh, I that think separation, you, you, you brought know. out another detail of what Rilke might have meant when he said yeah. love the distances between them. Yeah. That there may be a, an ability to say that's okay. Yeah, You're that's really fine. interested in this and I'm not. Yeah, not and a big deal. I mean, you know, there are times, I mean, we're just, we're just talking now, Eric, I don't, you're not going to, oh. yeah, no, but there are times, let's say, like right now, Nord is writing a book on his third great grandfather, Niels Trollson Brew, and I am really not interested in it. And it's a big interest of his. And, so, you know, sometimes 
he'll, um, you know, and I'd be kid, I say, Lord, am I going to be in your acknowledgments? And he's, <laughs> it's like, um, you know, he just kind of laughs. I mean, there are so many people that have helped him with the book, but except but me, you're not it, one of them. I am not one of them. I am not one of so them. So the joke is that you both know that you're not that interested in this. Yes. It, and, and it's a joke. See, that's what's interesting. It's, it's a joke. It's, it's a joke. Yeah. And so like then there'll be times when he'll um, he'll talk about um He'll talk about him psychologically because he's really mm -hmm. relating to his third great grandfather in so many ways. He's interested yeah. in what I have to say there. I'm interested in what, but I'm just not interested. Like I've mm -hmm. said to Nordy, Nordy is, is so into um, like like 18th century, mm -hmm. even 17th century Norwegian land records. And I say, so one night he, he came to bed a little late and I said, Nord, <laughs> What's keeping you up would put me to sleep. You know, like he's like... <laughs> now, did he laugh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now let I mean, me ask you something. Yeah. Anything you want to put in about this the wonderful connectedness that can happen in a long-term marriage? Oh god. How would you describe it? What's one of the best things about it? Go ahead. It's so soothing. It's mm -hmm. it's so soothing to have gone through life with another person and love them more and more and more. Do you know, it's amazing. I mean, you know, Eric, you talk about like this healthy separateness. I mean, I, the whole, I feel self-sufficient, but I, the whole idea, you know, of being without Nord, like I know widows now and I see them walk by themselves to an event. And I, I just, I just hate that. You know, I just, would hate that. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting is when you said that you feel so self-sufficient, and yet you also say this. I think that um, you know this is kind of what the way it is with really good long-term marriages is that there's this powerful self-sufficiency. Which, which sort of sets up the condition for a stable, but very profound dependency. Yeah, I can't it's, figure it's it out. It's a tricky kind of thing. Yeah. I think it becomes a more delicious dependency rather than an agonizing one. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that the grieving is going to be easy when the one goes before the other. Yeah. Some of the people whose marriages... I thought were the most connected where they have this tremendous curiosity about each other for decades and decades. Yeah. The grief was quite substantial. Yeah. So yeah. we're not going to cover the entire landscape of connection and marriage. We're not going to talk about sex. I'm warming up to that. One of these times I'm going to do that. Um, but I want to just talk a little bit now before we wind up about emotional distance. So at times people talk to me about, I don't know, I feel like we're losing connection with each other. Yeah. And um, I think in, in really good long-term marriages, there are often those seasons. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. I mean, there have been seasons where 
you know, we, we're just living parallel lives, you know, and, you know, especially when our kids, kids were younger, because kids absorb so much of your life, you know, so much of your emotions and activity, your daily life that, you know, you just, sometimes you're just making arrangements with your husband about who's picking up who and what's for dinner, you know, and, but, you know, staying with that makes it richer. You know what I mean? And, and understanding that that's part of it, that that's just part of it, that you're not going to maintain that that same emotional tone throughout a long marriage. You're just not. But, you know, sometimes with me and I, I, I know myself pretty well, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> but I find like I'm a youngest and I have an older brother and I had a very... Um, my father was very positive for me. So I'm really used to men being, you know, I grew up with my mm -hmm. father being very positive. Adoring. Me. Yeah, very, really adoring. And my yeah. my brother, I don't mm -hmm. know if my brother was adoring, but he's very positive for me. I mean, my father was. No, like, I think you're saying being adored is something you're used to with guys. It's something I'm used to with guys. And this and could occasionally be a problem in a long-term marriage. It, it is. It is. And so like sometimes like if Nord is like in, you know, in a not connected, like he's in his mind. And I say, yeah. so my first thing, I say, is there anything I did? Anything I see, you know, is it, is it, mm -hmm. is it about me? And he said, it's not about you. I said, okay. You know, but other, I don't think other, I think that's a significant part of my birth order and, and the significant part of how I grew up seeing myself, you it's know. to be aware of one's programming. Yeah, uh, my programming. That, uh, yeah. By the time I was a little bit late to the game of being ready to have a great marriage. Yeah. But by the time I got there, sometime in my 30s, one of the main things I knew about myself, as you put it, I had come yeah. to know that when I get into a really kind of anxiously needy or a kind of grippy, clingy needy, or maybe a even angry needy space, yeah. it's not the, the other one's problem. Right. It's my problem. That had grown very stable in me. Yeah. And then, and I, and honestly, that was why I knew I was going to be able to make a long-term marriage work. Up until then, I wanted one, but I was really lacking in confidence. I didn't think I'd be able to pull it off. Now, I'm sure this is different for other people, but I think that's a very common equation. Once yeah. I know I can handle me on my worst day yeah. without, without blowing something up in a relationship once yeah. i know that i'm pretty sure i'm going to have a good marriage yeah one more thing about distance just the interesting idea what's the difference between a couple like like suzanne where they can laugh about the fact that your greatest passion it would put me to sleep yeah <laughs> which keeps you up at night would put me to sleep my wife is currently binging on a TV show that I would probably want to throw a rock at the TV if I watched 10 minutes of it. And even the thing about wanting him to come to bed at the same time as me. Oh, yeah. I can get twitchy about that because I'd, I sleep better. To yeah. be okay with it. It's all right. Go to bed when you yeah. want. But uh, what's the difference between that kind of couple where it's kind of funny 
and the couple where it's not that funny and it gets deadly serious. I think the difference is interestingly illuminated by the family system's body of wisdom that distance is actually, problem distance is actually made out of emotional stuck togetherness. Yeah. Problem yeah, distance. That's a good point. That's a very good point. actually made out of. Yeah. Emotional stuck togetherness. Yeah. The intense intensity of attachment, which is natural in couples, natural yeah. for humans, has gone overboard. It's gone on to overdrive. And that's driving a kind of painful distance. Yeah. And I feel for couples when they're in this space. And I want to help them out. And the first thing I want to tell them is the solution is not getting her to act differently. If you're thinking that's the solution, you know, if she'll give me more of this, if she'll give me more of that, if she'd stop acting this way or yeah. listen, listening to me better, those are all blind alleys. So Eric, so you, you know, you've met with a lot of different couples. Mm -hmm. When you tell somebody that, <laughs> I mean, how do, they, do they act toward it? I mean, like that's. I wish I could be that blunt, you know? Yeah. Often but, I'm not blunt. I'm I'm patiently, you know, I gotta stay curious. But what's your question? Like, do they throw something at you? No, it's not that they it's just uh -huh. that, you know, it's I'm missing like that is a really good point. That's a really good point that, that you that you made to them that it's not mm -hmm. if they change you're not, Bowen. right. You know, they're yeah. not they're gonna change, it's not gonna make you that you know, you're gonna you're gonna you know move the ball the goalpost someplace else, you know. Um, mm, the target. The target, right? Oh, but, oh, you mean that it, the goalpost? You meaning if they once they change that one behavior, there'll be the next. There'll be one. other one, right? Right. There's different. another one because it's not. It's not. It's about you. Do you know what I mean? So, yes. how do people hear? Okay, so let someone hear. It, they hear it. How is someone? Okay, here's my question. How can someone change their programming and actually act on it? You know, say, okay, you know, That's and they make question. a difference. Let's end with that. Okay. I thought, first off, some of them can't. I would agree that a lot of people, most people can't. Some of them don't want to go there. Yeah. And you could see sometimes see that someone has become enamored of someone else. And it's too late. Yeah. Because their emotional energy is all focused in that direction now. Yeah. Or the habit of thinking that there's something really wrong with him is just so deeply ingrained. Yeah. And they're angry at the thought that it's not the real problem. Yeah. These things exist. Yeah. But for other people, and maybe they're the ones who have a more profound motivation to keep it going for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're supported more fully by their families and their family systems to keep it going. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can involve embarrassment. Like I don't want the embarrassment of going through a divorce or other times it can involve, I'm not doing that to my kids. Yeah. I think those can be very healthy impulses. Some people, I think, you know, Suzanne, I would say this. If they could just calm down more. Yeah. 
if they could learn to recognize I am pretty um I'm in a, I'm in a, operating in a state of chronic fear mm-hmm. or chronic anxiety or worry or anger and that I got to get that down if I can bring that that down settle it down like a balloon that's about to pop letting a little bit of air out of it just one second of letting the air out makes that balloon much less yeah. capable of being popped two more se- two more seconds and now you could stick your finger in the balloon and yeah, say how do you do that? I think transcendental meditation is fantastic, but yeah. there's other ways, right. walking by the ocean. But the idea to think that's what I got to do, I got to try to do that. Because once you do, you start yeah. seeing everything differently and you're yeah. more flexible. Yeah. You're more, your mind is more flexible. You know, it's like after a good night's sleep, all of a sudden, everything yeah. looks completely yeah. different. But I, I think, too, this is where I think Bowen... Hold on, one sec. I just want to give... Okay, now say it. Go okay. ahead. I think where this is where Bowen was so right about, you know, this is the point where you maybe talk to family members. Just, just connect more to family members because things can get too intense if it's just this couple you know, and if they're cut off from other family members. So, you know, there were times, I I just think that loosens things up a lot. And, you know, I remember one time um, I was, I was at one of my kids' house and I didn't want to stay there. I wanted to move to a hotel and it just, I just, whatever, didn't want to stay there. And get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I just, and I remember calling my mom, my mom was still alive and calling my mom. And I said, mom, how did you like staying with us when, <laughs> when, when you were busy all this time? Yeah. And this is, she said, I hated it. I said, what? I said, she said, I hated the room downstairs <laughs> and the little bathroom and all that. I said, why did you do it? You know? And she said, well, I thought it was good for the kids. You know, I thought it was a good thing. And it's, I don't, it was just so funny. But did really, it take the wind out of your sails a little? It, like, it did. It was really easier. good. It was really good. And I still was happy not to stay there. But I always remember, you know, how that loosened things up for me. And I just think sometimes in a couple, it just gets so tight. And when you're in touch with more you know, your sisters, your brothers, or just other people in your family in a more honest way. It's really a good thing. It just, yeah. This is a beautiful point to close with. Yeah. That the the wonderful overflowing sense of connectedness in a couple is often housed within a whole network of wonderful relationships. Yep. To take the pressure off that one dyad. Right. And conversely, that when you have problematic distance in a marriage, dangerous distance, there's probably uh, a paucity of fantastic connections surrounding that couple. And that's one way they could make it better is build another relationship that takes some pressure off. Absolutely. Let's end with a quote from the great Canadian novelist Robertson Davies. Okay. But just before that, I just want to thank our sponsors. 
To Honor and Cherish is a production of the Vermont Center for Family Studies and is produced by Roz Saunders. It wouldn't be possible without the generous support of Pomerlo Real Estate and the Brew family. So here's what Davis said. Whoever talks about a lifelong intimate friendship expressing itself in the broadest possible range of conversation. If people are really alive and alert, it ought to go on and on, prolonging life, because there's always something more to be said. Until next time. <laughs>